All right, we are here again. Repeat guest, Jason Fitzgerald. Jason, welcome back to the show. Super excited to be here, Matt. Is this my third time on the show now? This is a good question. I was thinking about this before. We didn't talk about this as we were getting ready. Uh, one time, actually, you were on or you were part of the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit, and we then took that and then turned it into a podcast. So I guess that isn't that's kind of like a half a podcast experience. Yeah, half an appearance. Half an appearance. Um, but yeah, but that episode was good because actually we recorded it together. Some people did the, the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit, like pre-recorded a video, and then we like played it, right? Uh, I think like David Roche did that. I think Sarah Bishop did that. They had like a topic. And it was kind of like a TED Talk. They kind of like did their thing and did like a full presentation where you and I kind of like went back and forth on, on a couple of topics, which was nice. But yeah, a couple of times, that is for sure. And I was on your show, what was it, a couple months ago, which was fun. It was nice to get you on mine. Yeah, it was recent. Um, always, always have a great time chatting with you, Matt. You have such an infectious enthusiasm for the sport that comes through anytime you talk about it. So this is going to be great. No, absolutely. And you're wearing the local runner shirt. Where, what, what's local for you exactly? Well, I mean, literally local is Denver, Colorado. But uh, this is this is a, a I think Dumb Runner sells yes. these shirts. Yes, he does. I think DumbRunner.com. Uh, I got one that says Local Runner, which I think is just hilarious. I'm really excited to wear this around a bunch of like pro runners at some meetup in Boulder where they're also local runners, but I'm going to have the cool shirt. That's and what I, got I was going to say. Jogging as well. I was going to say, local runner means different things depending where your locale is, right? If you're up in the Boulder area, a local runner also could mean Olympic runner as yeah, opposed totally. to here in Coventry, Rhode Island, local runner um, has a very different take to it. Yeah, my, my local is is a little strange. I, I kind of go out in Boulder sometimes and I'm like, ooh, that's a pro runner. Oh, hey, look over there. That's an aspiring elite ultra marathoner. And it's just such a cool place to live because those high level athletes are just everywhere. But speaking of Denver, like I think about this, like, do you ever see because two like we say like pro runner, but like you you are you're professional in the running industry. So like, and actually one some, one of the, one of the more famous people in that genre also lives in Denver, Seth James Demore. Do you ever like cross paths? You guys do a ton of miles. He's in like in the hundreds of miles, but do you ever like cross paths with him? Cause I feel like you guys do similar stuff and you live in a similar area. I just, I don't know if like you guys pass each other, like the Spider-Man meme as you're going by. I know. I'm surprised we haven't had any Strava, you know, like like run buys, whatever they call that. Oh, is you know, it flybys? Yeah. Flybys. There you go. But no, we haven't. Uh, I, I would love to connect with Seth. He's such an interesting guy. And, and he does like, you know, almost like the Casey Neistat version of YouTubing for running, which I think is just amazing. And he creates such, such beautiful content that's so inspiring for runners. But I live kind of in like the middle of the city, you know, like not downtown, oh, but okay. in the city of Denver. And I don't think he's super centralized in Denver. I think he might be a little bit outside. Yeah, I think he was, but then moved. I think he moved like a year and a half ago. I think he, he's just a daily vlog. It's like hard, it's easy to know what's going on in his life. He's talking about it all the time. But yeah, he definitely moved, I think, because he has a pretty growing family. So I think he had like a, I think he had a house that was more centrally located, but isn't anymore. At least that's how it seems. He's also on Strava, so you can kind of like see where, you know, yeah, I what he is up to. Yeah, I should him a little bit. There you go. Um, well, I'm excited to chat. You know, you, you, wherever you're on the, the show, those episodes do do really, really well. People are really interested in what you have to say. It's one of the reasons why you have one of the top three running podcasts in the country and has been that way for years now. Uh, also a really successful website and YouTube channel as well. Talking about strength, and that's integral not only 
in January, every month of the year, obviously, but tis the season for that sort of thing, as a lot of people think, all right, here are the things that went well in the previous year, here are some, some things that didn't go well, and here are the ways that not only do I want to set certain goals, but much more importantly, what are the steps and processes that I want to implement or improve upon to reach those goals? And oftentimes when it comes to running, strength, strength work, mobility, and everything underneath that umbrella is usually one or one A for so many runners. I guess, um, first thing before we get into some, some, uh, some logistics, not logistics, but some talking points and really dive into it, with your own business, do you see an influx of people around this time of year who really, you know, kind of like searching for this kind of information? I do see a lot of runners at this time of the year want to make some kind of change with their training. So it's just the question of, you know, what, what was I able to do last year and how can I take things to the next level? So you have a lot of athletes who simply want to take their training more seriously. And that can take a lot of different forms, right? I'm going to run more races this year. I'm finally going to get consistent with strength training. That is a big one. I'm going to finally, you know, run more than 30 miles in a week and, and see how my endurance does with a higher mileage training program. Or I'm going to run a consistent weekly workout. There's so many different ways that you can sort of level up your approach to training. And I do see that you know, whole new year, new you phenomenon take hold of the running community as well. And, you know, there's a lot of people who who think, oh, you don't need new years to make resolutions. But it is this special time of year where there is this psychological undercurrent to society where everyone wants to be improving a little bit. Everyone's thinking about resolutions. Everyone's thinking about leveling up their training or improving in some way. And so I think we should take advantage of this phenomenon. Let's harness it. Let's use it to our advantage. And, you know, let's reflect back on our training and, and really ask ourselves, where are the areas where we might put a little bit more effort into and get a lot more results from? So I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great time of year to be working on those things. Um, I, I'm not one to shy away from resolutions and, and improvement like that. I think we should just take advantage of it, embrace it, and see where it takes us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of those topics where there are certain topics where if someone were to bring them up to you, you would be able to maybe peg where in the spectrum of like beginner to experienced runner they would fall. Right. If someone's like, all right, I want to get to like, get to like you mentioned, like maybe get to 40 miles a week in running. Be like, all right, this person's probably more on like the newer end of getting into running. Right. Or someone's like, hey, I want to break three hours in the marathon. Right. You'd be like, oh, this person's obviously is, must be pretty experienced, if not like have almost decades of experience running to kind of have that goal. Improving on strength and mobility and those things. I feel like that is a topic that is like endemic to like literally anybody across the range. And like, I don't even see like peaks and valleys. Like I know plenty of, of elite runners, even pro runners who say like, this is the one thing I want to like do better at this year. And it's like, if they're saying it and like someone at like the complete other end of the spectrum is saying it, it is such a wild thing that it's not necessarily talent or experience related in some degree. I think you're a hundred percent right. I think strength and mobility is one of those things that can universally help every runner. It doesn't matter if you are listening to this podcast, debating whether or not you should become a runner, or there's the person who just, you know, competed in the 2020 Olympics. 
both athletes are going to benefit greatly from strength and mobility. So yeah, you're right. It's one of those things that is completely independent of ability level. And I think it's actually way more important for, for the beginner runner and the pro runner, because the pro runner is, is operating at a very high level. They need to do that work so that they can continue at that high level. And the beginner runner really needs strength and mobility because running is new to them. It's a much bigger stress than it is to someone who's already running 25, 30 miles a week. And they sort of need to protect themselves a little bit from all the impact force of running, the injury risk of running. When you first start running, the injury risk is a little bit higher. It's this new experience for your body. And, you know, I remember the first first time I ever went running, Matt, I couldn't run three miles. I was a 14-year-old. I felt like I had been run over by a truck after I run-walked 2.9 miles. That just shows you the level of muscular damage that you're experiencing from running. And if a 14-year-old guy is experiencing that, you know, what about the the 44-year-old guy who doesn't have all that testosterone coursing through their body and growth hormone, and they're getting nine plus hours of sleep every night? I mean, we really need to focus on taking care of our body as we start to run because it, it is a little bit of a stressful activity. So there's a lot of value in it. That's a great point. It's almost like a very shallow you. Right. You can get like an experienced runner who's running 30 miles a week, maybe running four or five times who could get away with not doing some of this stuff because they're not accumulating a ton of stress. They have their off days. Maybe they don't have like some like some big goals They're just kind of running for fitness where they could get away with doing this and not becoming injured. And maybe not being like, oh, I'm leaving meat on the table. I'm leaving like, you know, meat on the bone here. They're just kind of like, hey, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing, whatever. And them, again, not that it wouldn't help them, but they could get away with not doing it and it not have a, not doing it wouldn't have an adverse effect, right? Whereas like the, the, the extreme, not the extremes, but kind of like each end of the range, you would have um, some pretty deleterious effects could happen if someone doesn't incorporate this into their, uh, their athletic profile. Yeah, for sure. I mean, imagine the pro runner who's doing 110 miles a week, and then they just stop doing any kind of drills, mobility work, dynamic flexibility, strength training, you know, the therapeutic, physical therapy oriented strength work, the heavy weightlifting in the gym, you know, give them a couple of weeks, they're going to be hurt. That, that, that I would put money on that. Right. And I love that. And I love the idea of like, you're never too good to be doing this stuff. You're never like so genetically gifted. That you're like, ah, I'm fine, right? And like, it's easy to fall into that trap on occasion, or maybe not like take that exact framing, but to kind of like take a JV version of it. Um, I know even LeBron James has said like explicitly in his interviews, and this is not a humble brag, he's saying it's like, look how dedicated I am, but like trying to, to set the framework of like, he spends over a million dollars a year on his body. And like, he's a mo- maybe the most genetically gifted male athlete we've seen in 20 years, 30 years. And it's like, if he's doing this stuff and he does like a full hour long pregame routine, like you're probably, you're like sitting there like, should I do it for my workout? Like, well, if he needs to do it and he's way more genetically gifted than you are, maybe you could benefit from this sort of thing as well. Totally. And I think the opposite is true, right? It's not that, you know, high level athletes do this work because they're high level athletes. It's more that this is the work that helps you take your performances to the next level. So even if you're LeBron James, yeah, you, you want to continue being the best or one of the best basketball players in the league. But if you're Jason Fitzgerald, 
I'd like to finish then my next uh, trail half marathon five minutes faster and stay healthy doing it. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, it's going to improve your performances. So it's certainly not for the elite to help keep them elite. It's for anybody who wants to get better. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. And you've been on the show a couple of times, so we don't want to rehash and have the same conversation that we have had before. Uh, people are like, hey, I hope they talk about like what beginners should do or what are some key exercises that are important? Those are That's great content. Jason has a lot of that on his website. And we have talked about those sorts of things on this podcast. And I'll have links to those episodes in the show notes. But I don't think it does anyone any good to completely rehash those conversations. We've already had them. And that's evergreen content unless they've come up with a whole bevy of new New exercises that I was that I'm completely unaware of. I think we're we're just fine, kind of laying that there. With that said, I think there is a. We were talking a little bit about this before we press record. There's a cohort of people who want to engage more with strength training, um, specifically the mobility side is one thing, but strength training to to the to the degree where. You know, they, want to, they need to go to a gym because they don't have this equipment because they haven't done it really, right? So they don't have the home stuff. They want to go to the gym um, and they are self-aware enough to know that they need some assistance or they, they're, they're new to this, but also self-aware enough they don't, that they, they don't want to be like that person who's like stepping into like the gym on January 1st for the first time ever thinks they're going to rock the world and like all of a sudden is using all the the um the machines incorrectly and getting in everyone's way and all of that right so they don't want to be that person and maybe because of that they're like i don't know i'm a little scared i'm a little tenuous to go into the gym i know you feel passionately about this if someone's there like they want to improve but they have a little bit of imposter syndrome about even stepping foot into the gym and maybe it's even grounded in some um understandable thought processes what would you what would your advice be to those people yeah, it's a good question because there is a little bit of trepidation, especially among runners getting into the gym because the gym is this alien environment. We're not used to it. You know, I'm much more comfortable flying around the track in my split leg running shorts with no shirt on than I am throwing around heavy weight in the gym with the rest. You should of the wear that bro. same outfit in the gym. And I sometimes do just to remind <laughs> the gym bros that the gym belongs to me, too. <laughs> Pass the 12 and a half dumbbells, please. Yeah, like <laughs> watch me deadlift in these one inch split leg shorts. Right, exactly. exactly. All right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so yeah, like it, it is this weird place for many runners. But um, number one, I have never had a problem in the gym. All of the runners I've coached have never actually had a legitimate altercation in the gym with someone who's told them, you're not doing this right. You shouldn't be here. Get out of my way. You know, whatever it might be. So I think a lot of this problem just might be manifestations of our own fear. So I just tell runners, look, this is training we need to do. If you want to improve your performances, if you want to stay healthy, if you want to race faster, if you want to improve your running economy. So let's set aside some of those fears. And then once we get in the gym, Maybe you don't wear the one-inch split legs, have a little bit more modesty than I would because I'm just in a complete savage in the gym. But, you know, maybe you go with a friend who just understands the gym a little bit more so that they can tell you, hey, wipe off the machine after you use it. Hey, put the weights back after you do it. They can introduce you to some of the etiquette of the gym. And the same is true as if you go to use a track for the same time. You want to be running the same the right direction on the track. You want to be not jogging in lane one. There's all kinds of little rules at, at all these different athletic venues that are important, but that doesn't mean, you know, 
only collegiate distance runners and, and anybody faster than them can run on the track. Of course not. And, and the same thing is true with the gym. Um, I think it can also be super helpful to pay for one training session with a personal trainer so that they can walk you through basic movements. Let's get an understanding of how to do a squat, a press, a deadlift. Let's just do the basics. Let me understand the body positions. Let me understand which machines correspond to those movements as well. An hour with a personal trainer in a gym, just as like a let's get to know this area can be enormously helpful. Now, if you can't get a one hour personal training session, you may also want to get just like a weightlifting program. Here's where you're actually just going to be told, here's what to do when you get in the gym. Here's how to do what we're telling you to do in the gym. And that can be just an easy way of, of sort of getting out of your own head. You know, I'm going to not try to wing it. I'm not going to try to use this machine for what it's not supposed to be for. And instead, I'm just going to follow like a very basic program so that, you know, I just feel a little bit more confident in the gym. So I, I do think a lot of it's mental, but with a little bit of prep and just maybe observing others in the gym, you know, I, I sometimes like to watch some of the gym bros do their thing because, you know, it's like watching a whole nother athlete go through the practice process. It's interesting to me. And, and you can learn a little bit of etiquette. You can learn how to use some of the, the different weights and machines. So it's just one of those things where I think a little bit of experience, a little bit of time spent in the gym will likely, you know, get rid of a lot of these fears. Yeah, and for sure. And it's funny because like the people who who are in the gym most, who spent who basically this like their sport, right? So we talk about running as our sport, right? Um people who are in the gym and like weightlifting is their sport, oftentimes those are not the people who are gonna be like saying things to you if like you're going in with an open mind and you're trying to do the right things and you're like, you know, you're going there with, with good intentions. It's like, it's just, it's the same idiots who will like, you know, cut you off in traffic and then flick you off. Like you did something wrong. Right. It's like, if that's the person. So like, if you see someone in the gym and you're new to the gym who looks like they're, they're there all the time, they're not, they're not going to be the problem. They, they recognize like, Hey, this person's trying to do their own thing and they can respect someone who's trying to get to do something for the first time and who's going in and, and, um, you know, trying to improve themselves. So it's not, it's the, it's the people who you can see coming a mile away who are usually the, the people who are going to be a bad time to be around, but they're also like, they're that way because like in, in all actuality, they're just kind of irrational about the whole thing. So I think ultimately um, it, it is kind of much to do about nothing. And oftentimes can be kind of like, again, like you said, kind of like um, it can be a mental side, but also it can just be almost like a form of procrastination, right? Like I, I kind of, I don't know if I want to do that because I don't want to do this or that. And there may be a grain of truth in it, but it also can just be kind of a form of procrastination. Kind of like, hey, it's raining outside. I don't know. I don't want to go for my run right now. And I think it might it might lighten up in the rain a little bit in like a couple hours. Like all of those things might be true, but you can still go out for a run. Right. And I think that ultimately uh, for some people, it can just be a form of procrastination. And I say that as someone who procrastinates all the time. I'm a king of procrastination. I'm not above this. In fact, I am. You know, I, I've set forth the land. I've set up my homestead and I am farming that <laughs> land all the time, including today when I went out for my run too late and then had to cut my long run short and hop on a call. So I, I know exactly how that feels. So I learned from what I, uh, I learned from what I speak. I think it's also interesting to note, too, that the people we're usually most afraid of, like offending, whether we're in the gym and we see that like super serious, you know, 
bodybuilder kind of bro or like the super serious runner who's on the track doing a serious workout. Those people are so involved and focused on the task at hand that they're not paying any attention to you. You know, the gym bro. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Jim Bro has like 250 milligrams of caffeine from their pre workout surging through their body. They are ready to rip an elephant to pieces, okay? They are focused on pulling weight from the floor. They're not paying attention to the little runner who's doing some activation exercises on a yoga mat in the side of the weight room. You know, same thing with the runner. You know, they're they're focused on splits. They're likely in survival mode on that track. You know, their vision has been reduced to a tunnel of suffering and pain. They are not paying you any attention. So don't worry about those people. That's exactly right. Hey, folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, let me tell you, I know I am, and it's why I use UCAN before and during runs. It's a big deal for me. Um, it's just It really does settle my stomach and, even more importantly, provides me the energy that I need to feel good on my runs and then even on race days. So if I have a big long run planned, I usually do two skips, two two skips, two scoops. There it is of the UCAN powder, and then one of the little mini scoopers of the UCAN hydrate, which is an electrolyte mix, which tastes really good. Pop it in there, and then I feel really good on the run. And if it's a really long run too, I get one of the edge gels. These edge gels are UCAN's version of on the run nutrition, and they are fantastic. They're kind of like a liquid gel. And for me, it, it, it absorbs super fast. It doesn't have a lingering taste. The taste is fine, but it doesn't linger in your mouth. And it provides a ton of energy. I just used it on a run two days ago. I really, really like this stuff. And the bars, oh my gosh, the bars, <laughs> they're fantastic. Uh, it's easy to see why the UCAN got some awards for their Edge Energy Gel. It really is absolutely fantastic. In fact, if you go to our special, UK, our special URL, this is fantastic news. You can get six edge sample pack so basically six edge energy gels for free all you have to do is pay for shipping if you go to youcan.co forward slash rambling to claim that exclusive offer also if you just use code rambling you can save 20 percent on all of your orders at youcan.co if you're not sure what i said right there just go into the show notes as all the links and all of the promo codes there again it's just code rambling save 20 percent and your six free edge gels at youcan.co forward slash rambling. And one thing I wanted to have you on the podcast say talk about was like a thing that I've seen um, that I think is fascinating. I think it's a topic that I just haven't talked to many people on. Uh, my friend Maurice Lohman, who's been on the podcast before, the Marathon Panda, people may know him. Um, he has gotten into this and we've had some conversations on this topic, but I haven't brought it to the podcast. And that is there are plenty of people who and we just talked about this, who want to do like some strength training that are new to it. They want to be more running focused. All right, how, how do I become better as a runner? I want to get in the gym and I want to incorporate that so that I can get to the starting line. I can run better. I can run faster on my mileage, all the positive things. There is a subsection of people who either came into running from a different background, who came in already someone who like likes to lift weights and then got into running or who just likes both. Right. And I think of people like over on YouTube, you see someone like Nick Bear, who has very serious running goals and who goes after his running goals, maybe as serious as 
plenty of pro runners. Like he is not messing around. He is trying very hard. He's documenting the whole thing. And it's really fun to watch and witness uh, the highs, lows, all of it. You see people like Patrick Cutter, who's a 233 marathoner, has been in that area for a long time now. Has been remarkably consistent and who's very strong. I think he's like 195 pounds. He's like my height. He's like 5'8". Right. He's a very, very strong individual. You see other people on in different formats where it's this interesting combination of running dedication and lifting dedication in a way that is seemingly unique, but also kind of cool. And the thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, and I know I texted you about this, was I, I kind of get a little frustrated when I see some of these people um, – Lampooned is, is is too harsh of a word, but in that genre um, from people, because I'm like, they're doing the things that they love to do. They're succeeding in them. And I think it's perfectly fine if like, especially an amateur is not dedicated in like every activity to get every like 1% out of their, out of their, um, their running. It's okay to love two things. It's okay also to be like, yeah, I might sacrifice like 10%, you know, five to 10% of my speed, but I'm what I'm giving it up for is a great trade because I also like doing this other thing too, and I think it's an interesting thing that we're seeing, especially considering some of the popularity of some of these individuals. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm someone who also follows Nick Bear. I think he has not just like great content, but he's building a business in public. He's training in public. It's it's just really fascinating to watch. Um, now, you're right. You can do both. You know, it's as simple as that. You can lift heavy weight and focus on hypertrophy, try to get big, and also run regularly. And you can sort of put your weightlifting in maintenance mode while you're going after a big running goal, like training for a marathon, which is something that Nick Bear did. You know, he's still lifting weights, but, you know, he lost 20, 30, 35 pounds in the process because he wasn't really running, or I'm sorry, lifting the same way you would if, if you were like true bodybuilder. Uh, and, and the same thing is right now, like he, he has scaled back his running and really is focusing on his bodybuilding. He's entering a bodybuilding competition. So you can absolutely do both. Now, Matt, let me explain to you my bias. I come from a collegiate cross country track and field background. I am like the pure distance runner. So when I'm talking about strength training, I am typically like presenting runners the optimal approach. What Nick Bear is doing is not the optimal approach. You know, you have, you have no real like professional runners doing what Nick Bear does. Right. With that said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So I think both things are true. If you are a runner who wants to go 100% all in on your running, there's a certain way that you should approach strength training. If you're someone who is coming from a weightlifting background and you want to maintain that, well, you might make a couple modifications to your weightlifting program, but you might still follow a, a generally bodybuilding-centric weightlifting program while you're training for a 5K or a marathon or whatever it might be. And, you know, maybe your running is slightly handicapped, but look, at the end of the day, you're doing two things that you love to do. You can still progress and improve and get a lot better. So, I don't think we have to take this either or approach. We can have an and approach. We can do both, have fun doing both, and still reach many of our goals with the understanding that, like, look, if you want to run a marathon with an extra 15 pounds of muscle, you're probably going to run a little bit slower. 
you know, that's just kind of the physics of the the event. You know, you look at any greatest marathoners in the world, they're not carrying around a ton of extra muscle. So it really just comes down to, do you want to go 100% all in on optimizing your training? Or do you want to be really good, just not like perfect at multiple things? And, and I think both are wonderful things to go after. Right. I think it definitely changes your ceiling, right? Like it definitely changes your ceiling. And if you're okay with that trade, that's fine. The thing that like I want, and I think Ken Rideout is another good example of this. Ken is an unbelievable Masters runner. Big, strong guy too. Someone who like worked his way up. Has a, he has a boxing podcast with Teddy Atlas. Like he is like really interesting, but he's also like one of the best Masters runners in the, in the world. And it's a really unique situation. And I love the fact that these guys are bringing people to running in a way that maybe we haven't seen a lot in the past. It's a very unique entry point where like Ken Rideout is partnering with like Des Linden and Mario Fraioli. Like what an interesting combination of people. I think this is so fascinating. And I love that these people are getting into running in this unique way. And I think, you know, you talk about like, all right, like maybe you can't, you won't reach that highest point. And that is undoubtedly true. The comparisons that you make are facts, right? You don't see people 190, you know, you don't see like someone with like enormous muscles winning the, the Olympic gold. However, however, most people listening to this podcast, like they are like doing every single thing already to like hit like their peak as a runner, right? We all have restrictions and things that constrict our training, whether it's time-based, whether it's health, whether it's like, no, I just don't, I don't have five hours a day to worry about this. I got my hour and I'm doing it, whatever. And it's just like, I think I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm more passionate about this the more I go of like, if you can do certain things just as an athlete, you and I have talked about this. So there's a difference between being merely a runner and being, being an athlete. If you can do things that you love doing as an athlete, that the excitement therein is going to help you so much. Just stay consistent, right? You just love doing it. Also, again, while it may hurt your ceiling, being a good, strong athlete generally is a positive thing. And if doing this sort of thing is going to, if you're like, hey, I don't mean consistency. I don't keep, I'm not super consistent if I'm doing some of these more running focused things. But if I incorporate it into like a bigger strength training plan that I did when I was in college that I really love doing and that I, I like going to the gym and doing that three or four days a week and I incorporate it into that and then I'm more likely to go to the gym. It's like, oh, okay, well then do that. And I think that I, I love the fact that these people are getting into running. I'm really rambling now embodying the name of the podcast, but I just think that there are so many positives to this and that the negatives of it oftentimes are at that extreme of potential, the point where like most people aren't even getting quite there anyway. So it's almost like it's kind of superfluous to the conversation for a lot of people. Yeah, I have two points on that. Number one, I think something is better than nothing. And many people aren't really doing anything with regard to strength training. You know, many runners that contact me and are interested in this aren't doing really much of anything. So I think doing, quote unquote, the wrong strength training is far better than not doing any strength training at all. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this is, is what you were mentioning about bringing people into the sport. You know, the 
high school cross-country and track scene, the college cross-country and track scene, that's one avenue that brings people into the running scene as an adult, but it's not the only avenue. And I might actually argue that it's not the best avenue because there's a lot of my former teammates that at 22 years old were completely burned out from running. They were done at 22. They did eight years of cross country and track. You know, they, they ran a 418 mile. And then once they graduated, they never ran another step in their life because they were like, I just can't suffer like that anymore. I don't want to run 85 miles a week. I'm just done. And I think when you come into it as an adult and you bring some of the other things that you like to do, you know, maybe you're playing a weekly game of pickup basketball, like I would love to do as a former basketball player. I know you're a former basketball player too. So, you know, we, we got to play like a, a little scrimmage game, by the way, one time, Matt, that would be so I fun. Was, we, I had set up, I had set up a, a scrimmage slash pickup game the day before the Olympic trials in Atlanta. Five on five, we were going to play, and then I didn't end up going because I got sick with the flu, which for some reason kept showing up negative on the flu test. I guess everyone can guess what that turned out to be. Um, and yeah, after the Houston Marathon. And um, so I didn't end up going down, but like I, I was ready. We got Kerry Tollison was going to play. Billy Yang was going to play. We, we got it going. So maybe maybe Orlando 2024, we can all meet up at like the Disney sports, you know, Disney sports complex and get it going. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I, this, this sounds like one of the most fun things ever. Um, but yeah, like, you know, these adults who are like, oh, I still want to play my game of pickup basketball or, you know, I've been lifting weights for 15 years. Can I still kind of get in the gym twice a week? I think by being super dogmatic about this is exactly how you have to structure your weightlifting if you want to run effectively as well, you know, that is a way to, to, make people not really embrace the sport. So I think it's a great way to get people involved in the sport to say, hey, look, you can do a little bit of hypertrophy training in the gym, try to get big. That's not really going to hurt your running too much. You know, if if you're, you know, putting on 80 pounds of muscle and you, you st still want to run your 100 mile ultra marathon, you know, ugh, those things might be a little bit challenging to do at the same time. But for the most part, we can do both. It's a great way to get people involved in the sport. And uh, it, it just keeps people engaged in it as well. And the other thing, too, is that I think this gets lost on some people. This goes for beginners and, uh, and, and, and the people we're already discussing is that if you're building a really good aerobic base and you're running, you know, dozens of miles a week and maybe getting into the 50s and 60s, like, <laughs> like listen, putting on muscle is no easy task. I'll just say that. There are plenty of people who are like, I don't want to get big from lifting. I'm like, go tell that to someone who's actually tried to get big in lifting, and they will start laughing hysterically. It's incredibly difficult, especially as you get older, to like actually bulk up and get big. Like you have to eat a ton of calories. You need to be in the gym a lot. You have to like it is very difficult to do. So it would be it'd be like someone saying, I want to pick up running, but I just don't want to run a four minute mile. Like it's just too fast for me. It's like, don't worry. It's not going to happen. You're fine. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you also get that point of like, Oh, you give this, like, it's almost like this, this idea of like this idea of what could happen. And you're like, if you could be so lucky, like that, that sort of thing that you're worried about, the chances of it happening are so small. Like it's never going to happen. You're going to be just fine. And another thing I meant to bring this up earlier is like the influx of people, 
into running through OCR. Because we've seen a lot of OCR athletes have traditional running coaches as part of their training. I think Megan Roche coached like three OCR champions this year, and she's a traditional trail and ultra running coach, and yet she's coaching like short course OCR champions. But you'd be like, how are these combined? It's all it's about all about the aerobic base. It doesn't like coach every aspect of their OCR life. Like she's not teaching them how to like throw a javelin into like the dartboard, right? At an OCR competition. But you have these people who they know, like, all right, if I want to get better at OCR, building my aerobic base through running, because running is a major part of what we're doing, is really important. And yet I want to make sure I'm doing all these other things so that I'm good at my uh, at my main um, activity. I think this is another way that people get into the mix. And I think it's it really is fascinating. It touches on what you've talked about so many times about being a good athlete. And I just love the word that you used before about not being dogmatic about this sort of thing, because there are so many ways to do this that I feel like if people approach this in a way where they're like, hey, instead of me being like, all right, what is Kira D'Amato doing? I'm going to do what she's doing. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if you like lifting, then continue to lift. That's fine. Even if like Jared Ward is not doing it, you're not going to be Jared Ward anyway. Who cares? You're going to be, go be the best version of you and do it in a way that's sustainable. And part of sustainability is liking what you're doing. And as people who build our own businesses, we know this firsthand. Like there's going to be plenty of days where you don't like what you're doing, even if you love what you're doing. Right. So if you already don't like it on the best days, you're just not going to do it on some of the harder days. Yeah, let's make it something that you actually enjoy doing. And uh, I think you're right about OCR. OCR is is almost like uh, a gateway drug for non-runners to try some running and, and it gets them hooked on it. Uh, and, and I think Megan Roche is 100% right that, you know, the be- I've been saying this actually since 2012. Um, the best OCR athletes are runners. You get a lot of strength athletes, crossfitters, et cetera, who go do some sort of OCR obstacle course race, and they think they're going to be great. And then they get their butt handed to them by a runner. And they're like, oh, but but I was better at climbing up the rope ladder. It's like, yeah, but the runner was running five minute pace in between the obstacles. So, of course, they kicked your butt. Right. And I know she does a ton of hill work with them. So they're able to get used to elevated heart rate and then bring it back down, elevated heart rate and then bring it back down in a way that like, obviously for something like that is so incredibly important. Even something like biathlon, like I'm talking about like winter, like winter Olympics biathlon, not like, like biking and swimming or something like that, where it's like, here you're cross country skiing, which is an incredibly difficult thing. And then you have to like lay down on the ground and shoot a gun like shoot a bullet through a target like the size of a quarter, in which case, like in order to do that, your heart rate has to be pretty darn low. Like you have to be completely in control of your functions. And it's like, that's a hard thing to do. And if like, you're not like really working on your aerobic base in conjunction with some of this high level uh, cardiac output, like you're going to be nowhere, no matter how strong you are. And the interesting thing too, is the better runner you are, the easier obstacle course races are because the obstacle ends up being a recovery period during what is essentially a big fart like workout for you. You know, I, I actually won a warrior dash obstacle race back in 2012. Um, now full disclosure, I inadvertently skipped an obstacle. So I was disqualified. Um, but it was like, you, you like went down a hill on, like this, like it was almost like a slide. So I think my time would have been even faster if I had done the <laughs> obstacle. 
but you know, I was in really good 5k shape at the time. And that's basically what it was, you know, let's run three miles as fast as we can. And then while you're doing the obstacles, you know, climbing through a little tube or you're climbing up a, a rope ladder or something like that, your heart rate actually has a little bit of time to uh, come down and recover because it's not nearly as hard as the really fast running that you're doing in between the obstacles. So I'm, I mean, you, I'm showing again, my bias here, like I'm pro runner. Runners are going to be so good at OCRs. Well, it's a fact we've seen it. Right. And even if like they didn't come in as runners, if they train as runners, then, you know, that, that again, their entry point almost doesn't matter necessarily depending. It might, it may change the way or the length of the, um, the onboarding process for you to reach to the highest level. But ultimately, if you do the run training, I guess the proof is in the pudding on that one. Let's talk about lifting heavy. This is something that um, there's some people like to do, some people don't like to do, but there's certainly um, a certain running companies kind of focus on this, people that I really respect. And we even have folks like Nell Rojas, who's one of the best American runners in the country who advocates this strongly. And, and, and not only does she advocate it, she does it herself. So um, I think there's definitely a subsection of people who are really interested in this and want to learn more. Uh, one thing I want to touch on on this topic is not necessarily like, is it good or bad? Because I don't think it, it's either. I think it's like, again, it's, it's a net positive. No question about it. Um, but I worry about how people approach lifting heavy in terms of like going to failure and what that could mean and what that is and why it's not, <laughs> I guess, and I guess the, the negatives that are therein and going to failure, especially if you're in a lifting heavy model. So can you touch, talk about this a little bit? I know I'm springing this on you. I was thinking about this today on my long run, um, but because I, I have a runner who's who's doing this, and I was talking to her yesterday about it. But I think it's something that's really important, especially for people who um, know that lifting heavy might work for them, but don't have a ton of information about what that means. This is a great question. I think when you lift to failure, I put that in the, in the same bucket as you doing like your, a new PR, you know, a one rep max. It's basically the same thing. You're, you're trying to lift as much as you can. In, in one scenario, you're successful. In one, you're not. You know, you're actually failing. But it's a max effort either way. Well, in running, what is a max effort? A race, right? We rarely train and do max efforts in workouts. I think it has to be a little bit similar with our weight training in that, we shouldn't be quote unquote racing when we're in the weight room all the time. We shouldn't be doing one rep max or lifting to failure once a week. That would be like racing once a week. You can't really focus on your training if you're racing every single week. And so uh, runners need to be a little bit more careful with, with lifting that heavy. I mean, you could have the same weight on the bar. You're just, you need to do fewer reps so that you're not actually failing or take some weight off so that you're not, uh, approaching your one rep max, or in other words, your, your PR pace almost. Um, the other thing too, is that all weightlifting, whether it's heavy weightlifting, body weight, weightlifting, or body weight strength training, no matter what it is, it needs to be in service of your running. Now, again, there's my running coach, pure runner bias. I want your running to be helpful to you. I want your weightlifting to be helpful to your running. I want it to enhance your running. Now, if you are doing bodybuilder oriented stuff, 
you know, that's probably a separate conversation. You probably do want to go to failure more often, but that is going to negatively impact your running. But even then, even then those folks don't do that a ton. And if they do, it's because they're doing high reps. Like if you see people and I've, I've watched a lot of these videos with, with pro strength training coaches about like say deadlifting, right? When someone says like, Hey, you know, I want to lift heavy. Like that's like the first exercise they think of, right? It's just synonymous with that genre. And even people who are like, hey, this is how you get better at deadlifting heavy. They say it all the time. Like, hey, do four to six reps at your eight to 10 rep weight. Why? The same reason that you don't like gas it on every single rep of a workout. You need to be ready for the next set. So it's like, all right, what's my, you know, say I deadlift, say I put, you know, two 25s on the dumbbell, on a, on a barbell. I have 95 pounds on there and I can deadlift that eight to 10 times. Well, that's my four to six rep weight. Okay. You're going to get all the stimulus without the ridiculous breakdown and potential for injury if your form starts to go to crap because you're lifting to failure and all of a sudden things get start, start to get weird. And it's like, it's a little, I guess it's a little different if you're just like, hey, I'm just going to like, to see how many pushups I can do. And you're someone who can do like 20 to 50 pushups, right? Lifting to fail, like lifting to failure in that context is different than lifting to failure. If you're like, all right, I want to see what like my three rep max is in the squat. It's like, it's a completely different ball game. And it's like, it can be so, again, not only is it, is it, is it not the best use of your time and it can potentially get you hurt, but even people who do this for a living, like they don't do that. They they train with weights the same way you train when you're doing 800 meter repeats, right? They do it in a way that they can still do the next rep. And so that like, they're not so sore. They, they don't go to the gym the next day and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. A speed workout is not one where you are running as fast as you can. That's a race. The same way a lifting workout is not you trying to lift as much weight as you can. That's a powerlifting competition. Exactly. So let's differentiate between the two. And if we're in the weight room and we're training, let's train. If we're on the track and we're training, let's train. We can compete in a competition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and that's one of those things where I feel like it can be so easy for someone who doesn't have a ton of lifting experience to get themselves in trouble if they don't have a ton of lifting experience and then go into the lift heavy model, if they don't, if they're missing that, that piece of, of knowledge. Yeah. I, I think it can be helpful at the beginning, roughly, you know, in the first month or so of your journey in the weight room, you first get started to get kind of close to a one rep max, just to set a baseline. You know, it's almost similar to, you know, if I'm working with a runner for a couple months and, you know, they haven't run a race in a couple years, Let's just get you in a 5K. I kind of just want to see where you're at, and that will help inform the rest of our training and help us with pacing, help us with future race planning. So there's there's definitely some value in that. It's just not something that we can do all the time. It's a great diagnostic tool to understand your fitness level a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, there is an inherent injury risk with doing anything at maximum intensity, whether you're sprinting down a track, you know, running a hundred miles as fast as you can, or pulling as much weight as you can off the floor with a deadlift, no matter what we're doing, we just need to be a little bit careful when we're doing that maximum effort work. Cause it's a little risky. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I love the term, the diagnostic tool term that you use there. That that sounds perfect. I guess last thing I want to touch on with this, um, and this is my own personal bias. I haven't I haven't had this experience, but 
I just I just worry. It's like watching my kids on a trampoline. I just my heart is in my throat the whole time and I just can't I just can't even look. It's um it's CrossFit. Again, I think there's nothing against any of any CrossFitters or athletes that do it. They are they work their tail off, they care, they're passionate, all that stuff. All things that I love in runners, I love in CrossFit athletes too. One hundred percent. Because when I see certain workouts of the day and that's what they call them. If people don't know this, they call it, they're called wads. It's like, what's the workout today that we're going to be doing? When you see Olympic lifts done for speed, it makes me very nervous, right? So there's some workouts that people do in CrossFit that aren't that, that aren't Olympic lift basing, right? It's like taking like a medicine ball and throwing in the air. Again, that can be tricky. I guess I just, I worry about CrossFit because what you're doing oftentimes is you're by going for speed, you are sacrificing technique for so many people. And I know I, I've done CrossFit. I've done the classes. They, they don't even let you do the workouts of the day until you have your, your technique dialed in. They care. They want you to be healthy, not only because they're good people, but like if you're hurt, you're not coming back <laughs> and they want you to stay there. You know what I mean? Like they care. They want you to do well, but I just have seen so many people get injured and I've just, it's just, it makes me so nervous. Again, none of these exercises are bad, but when you do them for speed, just like if I tell my kids, all right, I want you to clean your room as fast as you can. That room is not going to be very clean, right? It's just, it, it, it it's when you add that speed component it just makes me incredibly nervous. I would like to hear how you view CrossFit. Not even, and then we can come back connected to running. But I know this, we talked before. Like people can do two things at once. There's plenty of runners who want to also do CrossFit, maybe once or twice a week. And just, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I have a complicated opinion about CrossFit because CrossFit is a complicated activity to engage yourself in. On the one hand, if this is how you are getting your strength training, your a part of a community, you really enjoy it. If you didn't do CrossFit, you wouldn't be exercising or lifting weights, then I think you should continue doing CrossFit. But just like you said, Matt, when you are doing a, a power-based movement, like a snatch or even like um, you know a, a clean and jerk, there are CrossFit wads, workout of the days, where you know, you're doing these for speed and it's called an AMRAP workout, as many reps as possible. And so on the one hand, you have an Olympic movement like, you know, the, the clean and jerk. It is a speed-based movement. I mean, that's what power is. It's strength expressed quickly. But there's a huge difference in what CrossFit does. CrossFit doesn't say, when you pull the bar off the ground, it needs to be a fast, powerful movement. You need to get it above your head as quickly as possible. That's not what they say. They say, once you do that, you need to then put it back down on the ground and do another one as quickly as you can and try to do as many as you can in a certain time period. That is so different. That's basically like saying, you know, I want you to run this 200 meter repetition as fast as you can. Okay, that doesn't seem so bad. Now it's like, I want you to do as many 200 meter reps as fast as you can in 10 minutes. Now this becomes a very strange workout, right? And that's what these AMRAP workouts are often like, where you are doing highly technical lifts that demand good form or else, you know, you're going to hurt your vertebra. You're really going to hurt yourself. You know, there's real risk of injury here. And you're, put, you're, you're putting yourself in an environment where your form 
is inherently going to break down because you're not focused on good form. You're focused on speed. You can't focus on both at the same time. You can't focus on uh, running as efficiently as you can in the final 600 meters of a marathon. You're trying to go as hard as you can. You know, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of form to get a little bit extra time. There's a time and a place for that. When you're in training and you're doing a technical lift like that, and you're trying to do as many as you can in a certain time period, you are incentivized. And if you want to understand people, you got to understand incentives. You are incentivized to compromise form to get in one extra rep. And that's an inherently risky environment to be in. And, and I think it's too dangerous for most athletes, especially runners who, you know, like this isn't their thing. Their thing is running. The, the especially if people are competitive, right? Especially if they're competitive. Because even if yeah. all the instructors are there and they know all the risks we do, they know them more intimately than we do, right? They, they live and breathe it. And they're like, no, try to have the same form. They're trying to like thread that needle. But if you have like a type A competitive individual who's stepping up, who sees someone next to them going a little bit faster, even if you tell them all the things in the world about like try to resist that urge, it's tough. It's tough to resist it. And like, again, I'm not going to demonize anyone on this. I think everyone can be doing all the right things. But like you said, like sometimes just like the human animal in us just wants to go faster and do better. And they want their name on the wall and, and all of this stuff. So even if everyone does all the right things, it can still be a very compromising situation. Yeah, it can it can really be a, a tricky situation for runners because, you know, it, it's fundamentally unsound. It is physiologically unsound to do a technical lift for speed uh, as many reps as you can in a certain time period. You know, no Olympic lifting coach will have you do that. And, and that's their specialty. That's literally what they coach all day, every day is Olympic lifts. And they will tell you, we never do as many reps of an Olympic movement in a certain time period as we can, because that's crazy. That's that's not that's not something that even should be a thing. Meanwhile, you just have CrossFit coaches who do that. So I do think it is a fundamentally unsound and inherently unsafe practice. So, yeah, I mean, you can have coaches say, well, we check on form. Well, no, you can't prioritize form in a speed-based environment. Full stop. Right. And also, that's reactive, right? Like, you can tell someone afterwards, oh, that was bad form, but, like, they've already done that. They've already caused the damage. Right. You can't you can't proactively tell someone that they're, they're about to have bad form. And if you did, it's because you just some had bad form in the last rep. Right. Yeah. So, it would be like a running coach who pulls you to the side after a five. You've just raced a 5K and they're like, OK, we're going to have you race a mile and you better have perfect form. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm exhausted. I just ran a race at 100 percent effort. And now you basically want me to do another 100% high intensity effort with good form. It's just an inherently fundamentally silly thing to do. Right. So if someone's listening to this and they do CrossFit, again, I love you for listening. And I love you for being a good athlete. Just try not to maximize time, right? If you love it because you like lifting, because you love the exercises, CrossFit has a very unique and thriving community base element within them, which I think is very fun. It's a really great way of staying engaged with athletics and just your local community as well. All of that is enormously positive. Just don't race the clock. Just do these exercises. Have, you know, Enjoy the experience, but don't kill yourself to 
literally have like the fastest time possible. Do the exercises, do them well, focus on that and enjoy all the elements, other elements apart about CrossFit that, that you enjoy, but don't do it in a way where all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh my God, I can't run for six months because I have a bulging disc in my back because I did something silly. Yeah. The older I get, the more I, I simply won't take those kinds of risks because right. I, I don't recover the same way that I did when I was 20 years old and swimming in testosterone. There you go. I love that. All right. We're going to get going in a second. You have a lot of people checking in on you to see what they should do as part of uh, their strength training routines and things like that. What are some of the things that you know this time of year that like you you be you know sending to people or different courses that you're trying to amplify for people to take a look at. I know body weight power is one that we have talked about on this show in the past, but what are some of the things that you'd recommend people might take a look at? Yeah, I mean if folks want to learn more about strength training so that it helps your running more specifically, uh, body weight power is our body weight strength training program that I created with a uh, physical therapist and strength coach, certified strength coach, who's also a running coach. And it's a periodized progressive body weight program. So I like this because it can be done at home. You don't need a lot of fancy equipment. You don't need to, you know, jockey with the gym bros in the weight room. You can do this in the privacy of your own home. But if you are someone who wants to get in the gym and follow a running specific periodized progressive weightlifting program, High performance lifting is another option that we have. Uh, and you can see all these at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. Um, a lot of different strength programs there, uh, depending on what you want to do, whether you want to stick to body weight work, which I, I think is great. And you can get really far with, you know, a, a more progressive body weight program where, you know, you're adding difficulty, you're adding different movements and reps and more advanced exercises. So don't think you have to get in the gym and lift heavy. It's certainly the most efficient way to get stronger. I think is to lift heavy, but it's certainly not the only way. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, thank you much for, thank you so much for coming on, for talking about all of this and for all the work you're doing in the community as well. We should say, if you don't already go subscribe and download Jason's podcast, the strength running podcast. If you like this one, you probably already know about it since it's above mine in almost every single podcast ranking platform. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Love being here.